listeners. This is the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast, and it's early January 2020 as I record this, and I trust that you've all had a very pleasant holiday season. In this episode, I want to talk about the potential fallacy that is surrounded by worrying too much about white balance. White balance is one of those topics that keeps coming around. I suspect that this is because it's not well understood, but also because there's a lot of wrong information about this topic out on the internet and in camera stores. There are also a number of white balance accessories that are not inexpensive, but they are aggressively marketed because there's massive margin in them, but they may not deliver you any real value. We're also seeing a collapse in the number of brick-and-mortar stores and a commensurate collapse in the quality and availability of photographic skills in an increasing number of these stores, and this leaves users in a very tough learning position. What we'd like to do here is try to clear things up a bit. White balance is an old process. In the days of color film, the film was chemically designed and balanced for a certain color temperature of light. Some films had more tolerance than others, but in general the film was designed to match a particular color temperature. For example, tungsten films were designed to deliver true color, that is, white as white, only when the color temperature of the light source was 3200 degrees Kelvin. A variance away from that, and you might get a tint to the colors. There were also a number of so-called daylight balanced films and each of these had different criteria. Professional-grade films often specified not only their optimal color temperature, but the optimal color temperature for that particular batch. This made it possible for photographers to apply the proper color correction for that particular batch of film. Pretty cool, but a lot of work. Back in the day, few photographers had access to an accurate color meter. I did have access to a Minolta Color Meter 3, but back in 1980 dollars, that cost well over a thousand bucks. I only had access to it because I was apprenticing in a studio where the work we were doing involved catalog work and where getting the color balance was a requirement. In order to achieve this, we would meter the light and then use gels on our lights so we could match the color temperature of the lights to the color temperature that the film required. On rare occasions, we would use screw-on filters to make changes to the color temperature of the light before it reached the film instead of changing the light itself. Regardless of the method chosen, they all had a cost and delivered luminosity, but it was the only way to get the color right. When we were not required to color match a product, we could often go with close enough and things would be just fine. When digital photography replaced film, specifically in the case of color work, it took very little time before digital post-processing tools offered modifiers for color correction. They called these sliders and dials typically white balance. Back then, it was very common for the photographer to include a proper gray card for the first shot in any sequence, and then use that along with a measuring tool in the software in order to provide neutralization of any tints. Think of it this way. Digital uses RGB. Truly neutral gray 
is about 128, 128, 128. It means there's no tint. So for photography at this point, gray cards did more than just offer guidance on middle exposure. They also provided a mechanism for color correction. It's quite conceivable that you know photographers of a certain vintage who continue to use a gray card for the first shot in a sequence because it does help them do this neutralization. You certainly don't have to do it, but if you want to, there's no harm. As software improved, the idea of what is called automatic white balance came into being. This is a program, it's an algorithm, and it takes hints not only from the camera settings, but also from the very significantly developed matrices built right into the camera to achieve this goal of delivering neutrality, i.e. neutral gray looks neutral gray. Initially, the first implementations were a bit hit and miss, but it's 2020, and today automatic white balance is stunningly accurate. The exception then, and now, is if your image, or particularly your subject, that you're going to make an image of, has mixed lighting of different color temperatures. There was no simple way back then, nor is there today, to handle that. Thus, rule number one for color correction is to have a single source of light that's got consistent color temperature if there are multiple heads or lamps involved. If you're using daylight, and it's only daylight, that's consistent color temperature, so long as a cloud doesn't come into being, or the sun doesn't move behind a tree. I think you're following me on this. The challenge is ambient light is not always consistent, and it gets much worse if what we call ambient light is actually a combination of daylight and fluorescent and tungsten and metal halide and LED. Mix them all together, and you've got a mess. Now, if that's the only way you have available to you to shoot, and you absolutely have to get the neutralization right, the only sure route is, again, a color meter deployed with the skill to use it and the intelligence to apply what you learn from it. But even then, you still have to factor in a large amount of acceptance that mixed sources mixed light temperature color sources are always going to be a compromise. If we presume, however, for the most part, that all these mixed sources are going to be an exception and you're dealing with a single predominant color temperature, it does get easier. The problem is that you may have heard it suggested or read that if you don't have a color meter, you should be using one of the in-camera white balance profiles, you know, daylight, cloudy, shade, whatever. On your best day, this is like throwing darts at a board. And it gets worse if the light varies in luminosity over time, because that often brings to about a color temperature shift. And thus, one of these fixed, baked color corrections is inherently an utter waste of time. Now, I say this with confidence because it's critical to understand that in-camera white balance settings have no impact whatsoever on RAW files. I understand that this is confusing to people. I get challenged on this fact regularly because you just say, well, no, I can see a difference in the editor and on the LCD or EVF depending on what white balance setting I make. They're not lying. It's true. But they're not looking at the RAW file. A RAW file is not processed. 
It's not even a photograph. It's just ones and zeros. What we see on the LCDs in the EVS, and by default in most editing programs, is actually working with the JPEG preview that is embedded in every RAW file. It's not a true representation of what's in the RAW file natively. It's baked. It's cooked. And it's made worse when we use processing software that does produce its own re working preview that takes the processing that's been applied to the embedded JPEG and uses that as a hint to create a raw preview. So we shot in raw, but there's an embedded JPEG and it has been processed in camera. And now the raw preview uses the hints from the embedded JPEG to tell you where to start or what's right. Consequently, what we see in the editor from a color perspective has already had color correction applied. It's not awful, but it's not true either. If you choose to shoot in JPEG, you can still do color correction. I have heard many, many times that if you shoot in JPEG, you have no color correction capability. That's a load of bunk. What you do have is a lot less latitude because so much of the original data is destroyed permanently in the creation of the in-camera JPEG. Thus, if color correction is really important to you, you should be shooting in RAW. So let's assume instead that you are shooting in RAW by choice. And in this case, you have really unlimited control over color correction. There's no necessity to accept the hinted preview. The fact that automatic white balance these days is so very good, it means that the number of color corrections that you might have to make is going to be reduced than, say, 15 years ago. I understand that some users fret about not having the color temperature number. What they see as degrees Kelvin match what they think the color temperature was. I've seen it many times. Well, I was outside, it was daylight, and daylight is 5,500, but Lightroom says it was 5,300. So Lightroom must be wrong. The fact is that unless a color meter of professional grade, and I, I mean a not inexpensive color meter, unless that was used at the time of image capture, this assumption that Lightroom is wrong has a high level of arrogance. And the reason for this is that the human eye does not distinguish color temperature. The interpretation is done in the brain, and the brain automatically shifts what the eye sees, in reality, to make the overall scene look like daylight, because that's how we've evolved to see. Thus, rule number two. You have no idea what the actual color temperature is unless you've metered it with a professionally built and properly calibrated color meter. So don't guess, and don't worry about it. I find these concerns about numbers to be mostly useless unless you have to color match a logo or a product. In that case, however, you're being paid to do so, and you should either own or rent a color meter. By the way, they haven't gotten any less expensive over the years. What is much more important perhaps the only thing of importance is what color correction that you make to an image does that makes you like it more. Photography is a creative process. You're the creator. You make the image look the way you want it to look. 
And listen, that's not cheating because we know that non-creatives, and I realize I may offend some people by that, life's hard, love to slather their images with presets that they didn't create or LUTs that they downloaded from the internet with no rationale for doing so other than that they think it looks better. Now, that's not really creative because they didn't do the work, but they're making changes to the core image to suit themselves. So doing color correction for yourself is exactly the same thing. Therefore, to this point, there's no value at all to be mucking about with in-camera white balance settings because you don't have to. Automatic white balance has the highest probability of getting things as close to accurate as possible because there is no brain interpretation making changes to convince the viewer of white balance. If you shoot JPEG exclusively, you could choose to use one of those in-camera white balance settings, but the probability of your choice being more correct than automatic white balance is minimal. And one would typically only use one of these other white balance settings to intentionally bake a look right into that JPEG. Nothing wrong with that. If that's what you as the creative want to do, go for it. Choosing one of these alternate white balances might be quick, but remember, it's a JPEG, so your latitude for adjustment after the fact is severely limited. As a consequence of digital processing, the use of and the expenditure for devices that correct white balance before the sensor are a pretty big waste of time and money. There is no point anymore to the use of corrective filters. 85 series, 83 series, 81 series, 82 series, 84 series filters in front of your lens don't add any value because, again, there is no white balance in the RAW. Moreover, so-called white balance optimizers, and I'll use one example, the very popular Expo disk, they don't actually do anything to the raw file. Now, if you use one and you build a custom white balance from it, and then you shoot in-camera JPEGs, you are baking that correction into the JPEG. But again, it's a JPEG. You're going to have limited adjustability after the fact. Sometimes these devices have more of a psychological benefit as opposed to any kind of reasonable or valuable practical impact. I would encourage you, however, to save money on this kind of stuff and just spend your time shooting. Unless you shoot JPEG all the time and never ever process your images, meaning you never open them in an editing program, don't even bother with, with any of these tools because they're not helping. All they're going to do, really, is help you miss more shots and create more stress for yourself because you're futzing around a whole lot more than you need to with no real sense of any positive return to come. To summarize, once you're shooting digital, the whole worry about proper white balance is irrelevant, specifically and particularly if you shoot in RAW. If you want to get an embedded JPEG to a decent hinted start point, or even do the same thing for in-camera JPEGs, just put the camera in automatic white balance and move on. If you don't like what the image looks like when you bring it to your processor, you can change it. This is going to allow you to spend more time in the creative aspects of photography, the composition of, the timing, 
the angle, the placement, the lens, and helping you get the shot, you have the full knowledge that you can make alterations in post-processing that will be both finer controlled and more flexible than anything that you can do in camera. Do you have an idea for an article, tutorial, video, or podcast? Do you have an imaging question unrelated to this article? Send me an email directly at ross at thephotovideoguy.ca or post in the comments. When you email your questions on any imaging topic, I will try to respond within a day. If you shop with B&H Photo Video, please consider doing so through the link on thephotovideoguy.ca as this helps support my efforts and has no negative impact whatsoever on your shopping experience. If you find the podcast, videos, or articles of value, please consider clicking the donation tab in the sidebar of the website where it says buy me a coffee. Your donation doesn't actually buy me coffee. It goes to help me keep things going here. I'm Ross Chevalier. Thanks for reading, watching, and listening. And until next time, peace.